0: Early Wednesday morning, Congress convened a joint session for a special address. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky appeared on a big screen, looking exhausted, but moved by applause from members of Congress. Joy to hear us. Zelensky used the address to plead for more help for his country, for more sanctions against Russia, and for the U.S. to implement a no fly zone over Ukraine. Today, it's not enough to be the leader of the nation today takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world. Zelensky addressed President Biden directly. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader
1: of peace. Thank you. Slava Ukraini.
0: Biden and NATO have resisted calls for a no-fly zone, but the U.S. and Europe have been profoundly persuaded by Zelensky and the plight of Ukrainians. Biden announced on Wednesday afternoon that the U.S. is sending drones, anti-aircraft systems, and other weapons to Ukraine to stop the Russians. And the U.S. and Europe have taken other drastic steps to punish and isolate Russia, including steps to wean the West off of Russian oil and gas. From the newsroom of the Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, March 16th. Today, we look closer at the global effects of sanctions on Russian oil. And later in the show, we talk to Taylor Lorenz about why the White House is using TikTok influencers to combat misinformation about the war.
2: As someone who has covered energy and Russia for a number of years, there are two things I wish people would would keep in mind.
0: That's Will England. He recently retired from covering energy for The Post. And before that, he was a Moscow correspondent.
2: The first thing is that this spike in energy prices stems largely from the effects of the pandemic. And we saw them in motion even last fall. And the war is an overlay on them. The second thing is... That Russia is, in a sense, being true to its history in that its aspirations to be a global power are never met by its ability to, to reach those aspirations. It has never had the resources to achieve what it wants to achieve on the global stage. And we're seeing that today in Ukraine.
0: We brought Will out of retirement to talk about how sanctions on Russian oil could affect Russia— Europe, the United States, the prices we're all paying for gas, and about whether this radical rethinking of where we get our energy could actually be a good thing for addressing climate change. I want to start by talking about the origin story of these sanctions on Russian oil and how it became that Russian oil essentially was a huge part of the U.S.'s strategy toward dealing with this conflict between Russia and Ukraine.
2: Well, Russia's economy is almost entirely based on the export of oil and and natural gas. There's very little what you might call creative productive capacity, economic capacity in Russia. So the wealth that has built up there is due to the sale of these fossil fuels, In the beginning, neither the U.S. nor Europe was sanctioning Russian energy exports because Russian energy is a major source of power and light and fuel, particularly in Europe. Europe imports about a third of its natural gas from Russia. And this is used, of course, mostly for producing electricity. Mm. It imports about 25% of its hard coal from Russia as well, also used for producing electricity.
0: So if there was resistance from both the U.S. and especially Europe because of their reliance on Russian energy, then how did that start to change? And and what's going to change for these countries?
2: Well, Europe is paying something like $800 million a day to Russia for coal, oil, and gas. And as the attack on Ukraine further developed and as people were, you know, really influenced by the very powerful addresses that President Zelensky of Ukraine was giving to the European politicians and speaking with the U.S. Congress, there became a, a determination to do something that would not be at the fringes of the Russian economy or really strike deeply. So President Biden has banned the import of uh, Russian oil products to the United States, which is not a major part of American oil consumption. And Europe has been talking about cutting back on gas imports significantly by the end of this year and altogether by 2030, which gives you an idea of how difficult it will be to wean Europe from Russian gas because there there aren't that many immediately available alternate sources. Mm -hmm. The United States has been talking to Venezuela, which has been under a very strict sanction regime for several years, about maybe we could find a way to allow Venezuela to start pumping oil again. Venezuela has the world's largest reserves, And on a technical note, its sulfur in the Venezuelan oil is very similar to what you find in Russian oil. So Hmm. it could easily be used to to, to replace Russian oil. Mm -hmm. The U.S. has been urging Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to ramp up oil production, which they would be capable of doing. But so far, they have not been interested in offending the Russians.
0: So tell me more about how the EU and the U.S. are hoping that this all plays out, like the effect that these sanctions will have on Russia.
2: Well, there's one other element to the idea of the sanctions, which is that they might in themselves make it harder for Russia to conduct this war. Russia needs money to pay for the conduct of what's turning into a perhaps a long-running war in Ukraine with hundreds of thousands of troops and all this materials supply – The Ukrainians have been destroying a lot of Russian material that would have to be replaced. If sanctions put a crimp on Russia's ability to access money and material, then they're having a direct effect on the war. But sanctions, they're designed in such a way that they actually make it difficult for Russia to continue to wage the war. There's a risk there as well, which is that Russia will see them as an extremely hostile act Mm -hmm. and may decide that that requires some kind of retaliation, whether it might be a, uh, a cyber attack on the West or an attack on Poland or the, one of the Baltic nations, a NATO member, in other words. So there's a sort of escalatory risk.
0: And that's interesting because it feels like the way that we've been talking about these sanctions that that's supposed to be the thing that prevents escalation. These are the ways that we can punish Russia without escalating the conflict. But what you're saying is that this could still escalate the conflict because Russia would see it as a direct act against their military.
2: I mean, that, that's the, the fear. That's the threat. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly, sanctions do not strike home as much as an aerial attack on Russian airplanes over Ukraine would. So, it, you know, it's less of a severe step than that. And, of course, the West is not the world, Russia's largest customer for oil is China. They're talking to the Indians about trying to persuade them to buy Russian oil. Hmm. Currently, India gets its oil mostly from the Middle East. Both China and India might be interested in that. But, of course, if Russia cannot sell its oil in Europe or to the United States, either through official sanctions or just through corporate decisions not to buy it, that gives the buyer particularly China, the upper hand over Russia and can start dictating price to Russia.
0: That, that China or India could say, we'll buy your oil, but only if we buy it for very cheap. And that might do less to be able to help Russia continue to make money off of its oil.
2: That's right. Yes.
0: So in some ways, it feels like what the U.S. and Europe are trying to do here might not even be that helpful if Russia can just turn around and say, well, you guys aren't the only game in town. I'll go sell my oil to someone else and I'll still make my money.
2: Yes, but it's more difficult for Russia to turn around and sell its gas to somebody else. Natural gas has been the sector where Russia has really kind of held some dominance over Europe because Europe has become dependent on Russian natural gas. So just as Europe can't quickly pivot to some other source, it would be difficult for Russia to pivot to some other customer. They're talking about building a pipeline to China from Russia – you know, that's that's not something that's going to happen next month or next year or, you know, in the next couple of years. That's a, that's a major project. So there's a lot of hurt that can be inflicted upon the Russian economy by North America and Europe with a refusal to buy Russian oil or gas. It's not leak-proof. No, you're right. But turning to China and India cannot compensate for the lost markets in the West.
0: Hmm. So, obviously, the strategy here is that if you stop buying oil from Russia, it would have such an effect on the Russian economy that Putin, people within Putin's circle or average Russians would start rethinking whether it's worthwhile to continue this invasion of Ukraine because their kind of personal cost is so great. But. What is the risk of doing that for the U.S. and for Europe? Like, what are the costs to trying to make this point by not buying Russian energy?
2: Yes, let's let's, let's break that down a little bit, because you have two different things going on with oil and with gas, natural gas. The conflict in Ukraine has sent the global price of oil up considerably, but it was already high in November. And before this all started, it was over $80 a barrel Mm -hmm. as of... Tuesday of this week, it was in the high 90s, which is, you know, a significant increase, but it's not a phenomenal increase. And the United States, for instance, purchases a very small amount of oil from Russia, but not very much, and that's easily replaced. This higher price of oil clearly is starting to encourage the shale oil producers in places like North Dakota and West Texas to ramp up production again. This takes time to to get these pumps going again. There hasn't been too much evidence of new drilling, but there are plenty of wells that could be turned into productive wells in those areas. So that will be some compensation on the price of oil. The Biden administration is talking about releasing some oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve which is really, in my view, that's more of a symbolic gesture than anything else. I don't think it's really going to have a big effect on world energy prices. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we've seen the price of oil swing hugely over the last two weeks. And and that's not fact-based. That's sort of emotion-based and, you know, fear-based pessimism about the future and then optimism about Mm -hmm. the future. And, And one of the reasons the price is down at the beginning of this week is new reports of this big new Omicron surge in China, and they're shutting down cities there, and there's concern that the world economy will slow down. And this war could slow down the world economy as well. And then suddenly, there's less demand for oil, and the price starts to come down a little bit.
0: So the, there are a lot of different factors at play here. It's not just that the price of, of gas is going to be steadily increasing week by week uh, for the duration of this conflict, that there are other ways in which you can see the price fluctuate because of different factors involving how much gas other countries are using and how much we're paying for gas and how much gas is being produced and that it's complicated.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: So I want to talk a little bit more about how this is all being seen and interpreted here in the U.S. Because I I think for many of us, you know, we're passing by the gas station in our neighborhood, we're filling up our tanks, we're looking at the sign and seeing the price of gas and saying, oh my gosh, this conflict between Ukraine and Russia is having a personal effect on me and my wallet too. And I do just want to reiterate what you said before, which is that prices are actually really high because of the pandemic and the economic recovery from the pandemic, that it's not really all about sanctions. But but still, I do wonder, like, does this present a political problem for the Biden administration when everyone is seeing these soaring gas prices?
2: Well, polls are showing that a very large number of Americans say at the moment they're willing to pay higher prices for gasoline if that is a consequence of the war in Ukraine.
0: Interesting. That is almost like buying war bonds or something, that like we're supporting yeah. the troops and so we'll pay our extra for our guests.
2: Yeah, yes. Now, you know, President Zelensky has been he's, – he's made a tremendous impression upon the world. Um, and when he argues we are fighting to de- defend democracy, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, you know, there's perhaps a fair amount of truth to that, that if Ukraine loses – where will Russia turn next? Where will Putin turn next? So at the moment, there's a there's a kind of a high, I think, in much of the United States. You know, what, what, what can we do for Ukraine? Well, we can pay more for gas. Hmm. How long will that last, though, I think is a different thing.
0: And what about fossil fuels in general? Like, could this reckoning about the global dependence on Russian oil make us think more about
2: making the switch to renewable energy? It's certainly making some people a lot more serious about it. You you definitely hear this argument that this whole moment is the evidence we need to get serious about turning to renewables and wean ourselves from fossil fuels entirely, and that we can, you know, use this disastrous war as a as a, mm-hmm. a significant pivot point on climate change.
0: That that being dependent on Russian oil is basically a, a national security risk.
2: Yes. Yes. Right, that that's the argument. Now, there is another argument, the the exact opposite argument, which is that at this moment of all moments, we need to uh, rely on what Senator Joe Manchin refers to as all of the above, which means Mm -hmm. we have to get energy from every source we possibly can, you know, of our own making. So we need oil, we need gas, we need wind, we need solar, we need nuclear, we need hydropower, and yes, because this is Joe Manchin, we need coal. Mm-hmm. When someone says all of the above in, in context of energy, they're usually arguing for the coal industry. And, you know, it seems to me there are strong arguments that both sides are making. And the all of the above is, is kind of the short-term one. Let's pivot to, you know, independence from fossil fuel is looking a couple of years ahead. I think what this war has brought to the fore is how much our whole lives depend on the sources of our energy. And when the sources of our energy are in Russia and the Middle East and Venezuela, that's going to have an effect on societies all around the globe. I think there's going to be a growing determination in this country to... Rid ourselves of that kind of dependence, and and a lot of people would like to rid ourselves of the dependence of, you know, drilling in the tar sands in Alberta and in and in the Bakken oil shield in North Dakota and the Permian in Texas, um, and mining mountains in West Virginia and stripping brown coal out of the fields of Wyoming. That if we can if we can find sources of energy that stop making such a mess of the world environmentally and politically. We'd all be a whole lot better off.
0: Will England is now happily retired, but he was previously an energy reporter and Moscow correspondent for The Post. Renny Svernovsky produced this story. After the break, a new strategy for the White House to fight misinformation about the war in Ukraine. We'll be right back.
1: And now, one more thing. One way the Biden administration has been seeking to get information out about the war in Ukraine is by briefing social media influencers, so specifically TikTokers. The White House hosted a press briefing for TikTok stars last week where they communicated administration talking points, answered questions, and essentially briefed them all over a Zoom call that's Taylor Lorenz. She writes about tech and online culture for The Post. Well, there's tons of Russian propaganda swirling around TikTok. There's also lots of videos that are real videos, but they're completely being misrepresented. We saw a bunch of service members in one video dropping out of a helicopter onto the ground. That was actually footage that was taken years ago. So you're seeing a lot of stuff As is the case on Facebook and Instagram, right? Like, as soon as any kind of national event breaks out, you're going to see bad actors kind of try and skew the narrative by pushing misleading or false information.
0: At least 30 TikTok influencers were invited to this Zoom call with the White House, and they used what they learned to start making content.
1: You had people like Ellie Zeiler, who's a hugely popular lifestyle content creator. She's got over 10 million followers on TikTok.
0: I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7, and here's what they said. Russia is one of the top three producers of oil, and it is actually their number one revenue source. Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade.
1: And Khalil Green, who's known as Gen Z historian on TikTok, was also there. He's become a super vocal, prominent voice.
2: So I just got off of a Zoom call with the White House about the situation in Ukraine. A number of other content creators in social media and myself were invited to this event, which was on background, meaning that we couldn't record or take pictures, but we can discuss what we learned from it.
1: The group that helped organize this in partnership with the White House is called Gen Z for Change. They kind of were the ones that selected these content creators. Gen Z for Change has been making big waves in the political world. They were previously known as Gen Z for Biden. Um, They helped do a lot of work around the election and then promoting vaccination. And they work with the White House on a lot of initiatives like this.
0: Since the beginning of the Russian invasion, young people especially have been going to TikTok for some of the first glimpses of what's happening on the ground. These unfiltered videos and dispatches shared from Ukraine in real time. And that's why Taylor thinks that this is such an important strategy for the White House.
1: You have to consider that on the other side, Vice reported last week, Russia is actually paying content creators to promote their propaganda This is an information battleground on the internet every day. And when it comes to trust in media, young people are much more likely to trust content creators than they are legacy media. They're also more likely to turn to content creators for their news. So it's really important to engage this new shifting media landscape and acknowledge the realities, right? The simple reality is that young people are not getting their information from cable news. They're not going to newspapers to read about it. They're turning to social platforms and news brands on social platforms in some cases, but in in more cases, it's the content creators themselves. And ignoring that just allows bad actors to kind of leverage those same forces with impunity. We should be out there informing people. We should be in TikTok. and People want to hear from news personalities that they trust, whether that's an 18-year-old TikTok star or a White House veteran correspondent. It's just about meeting people where they are.
0: Taylor Lorenz writes about online culture and tech for The Post. This story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sam Baer and edited by Maggie Penman, with production help from Alexis Diao and Mary Rose Madden. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.